At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the Book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Well, let me ask you this morning to open your Bible to Lamentations chapter 2. We're in the second sermon on our series called Good Morning, looking at how we can take our sorrow to the Savior. And so we're in Lamentations chapter 2. If you would, if you would find that passage with me and if you would stand, let me read God's word for us. Let me pray. Lamentations chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 8 this morning. Now the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in his fierce anger all the might of Israel He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe. And he has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden, laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival and Sabbath, and in his fierce indignation has spurred king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of his enemy the walls of her palaces. They raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of a festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament, and they languished together. Verse 17, the Lord has done what he purposed. He carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Verse 19, arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, all of Scripture is spoken of, and it's spoken and breathed out by you. It's, it's inspired by you, and it's good for our uh, encouragement and our correction, uh, for, for our well-being in life, for our equipping, and, and so that we may see your salvation. And Lord, this morning we, we acknowledge this passage, it is, uh, it is not one that is encouraging, it is not one that lifts up our eyes and, and makes us feel good, it, it shows us your holiness and your righteousness and your, your opposition to our stubborn, hard sin. And so Lord, we come this morning with, with sobriety and with humility because uh, we want to understand and see your grace. And we want to know of your love. 
And so, Lord, we would pray and ask that your spirit would take your word and that he would, would shape our hearts and that he would help us listen and receive this word. I pray, Father, that you would help me to apply it well to our, our congregation here this morning and that we would, we would see your holiness and we would know your love and that we would be softened and humbled and we would come and we would repent. Uh, so, Lord, work among us today. Show your glory. And we ask this now in the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Yeah, I'll admit, I'll admit this passage that I just read, <laughs> not the most encouraging passage you, uh, you would want to read. It's not one that I would, I would want to necessarily pick up on a, on a Monday morning and go, I'm going to do my devotions and lamentations too. I am sure that there is a lot of just life-giving, beautiful, thriving words here for me. And, and, and when we read it, we get a sense of, of just how heavy things can be. It may make you question and ask yourself, and, and I would ask you this morning as well, have you ever felt like God was your enemy? Like he was, he was radically opposed to you and against you in, in deep and profound ways. I, I know we don't want to think about God like that. We, we want our views of God to be the God who is safe, the God who is our friend. We, we want to attribute and, and think about God as our BFF and just like we could get really close to him. He's easily approachable. He never has a disparaging word for us. God wouldn't rebuke us or say anything stern. And yet there are times in life, especially during trials and great affliction, that we feel that God is our enemy. It, it just seems that he is, he is against us. He doesn't have anything good for us. No matter what, he feels distant. He feels angry. And the afflictions, particularly in the afflictions that we face, it's where it seems like he is out to get us. That God is going to come for us. And, and, and that troubles us because we, we, we know of the God of love and the God of mercy and grace. And so is there a contradiction here in front of us? Is is there two different gods, maybe, as we see it? Is there like the God of the Old Testament who's, who's furious, who's angry, who's full of wrath, and then there's the loving God of the New Testament who's, who's all sunshine and daisies and happy days and beautiful songs and positive and encouraging? What do we do with this? How do, how do we see this God? Could God be our enemy? And if He is, what does that mean for our daily lives? What do we do if, if God is, is opposed to us and if he is our enemy? How should we live? Well, this is the question that the writer of the Lamentations here, Jeremiah the prophet, this is the question that he deals with as he, as he looks and surveys the once beautiful, once proud city of Jerusalem raised to the dust. As he looks over the city that has been destroyed as the Babylonian army came and and raised and tore down everything, Jeremiah the prophet contemplates and he laments, God, are you our enemy? Are you against us? And in asking that question, Jeremiah is, is pondering and asking God, what should we do if that's the case? What does it look like if you are dead set against us? This poem here, the second one in the Lamentations, it's, it's similar to the first, and it's an acrostic poem. In the Hebrew, they started with the, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and they worked their way. It's a very highly technical literary skill. So it's beautiful poetry. 
And yet it's a cry, it's lament, it's, it's crying out from A to Z, as it were, about their sorrows and afflictions. This lament is on the occasion of the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in 587 BC as the Babylonians came in and stormed the city. And, there, and Jeremiah here is asking the question, how could this happen? Sorrow upon sorrow is there. This book is one of the most emotionally heavy, most emotionally difficult books in all of the Bible, and it shows us, this passage in particular shows us what it's like when God is our enemy and what we must do when it feels He is that way against us. This morning, I want us to see a truth about God. I want us to see the truth about God and who He is so that we properly understand Him and His ways and so that we properly relate to Him and worship Him. The, the truth of, of Lamentations true too is a biblical truth about God's holiness and His righteousness. And so we can't diminish it and we can't just push it off to the side as if it isn't true, but we have to come to terms with the God that we see in Lamentations too, And we have to come to terms with what our life looks like in light of who He is. And this morning I want to show us these three truths about God and His nature, especially when it seems like He has become the enemy against us. I want us to see these truths so that we know how to find grace and mercy, so that we know where to look when we sense that God is the enemy against us and we know how to rightly respond to Him. The first truth that we would look at and see this morning is that God is righteous in pouring out His anger. It's God is righteous in pouring out His anger. This is a lament. This is a cry of pain and hardship. It's a, it's a cry of suffering. And Jeremiah here, he is crying. The, the emotions, the tears, they are real. He is seeing his real city destroyed. He is seeing his friends carried off into exile. He's seeing the slaughter and the famine and the poverty of a city that was once beautiful and glorious, now nothing, overtaken and oppressed. We, we see images of great horror in the world, of incredible evil. We think of the Holocaust, the, the, the horrific events that have happened through human history, and they shake us to the core. They cause us to weep. And that's what Jeremiah is feeling and seeing here as he, as he looks over this once proud city. But he doesn't just see it as an independent strike from the Babylonians. Jeremiah sees things theologically. He sees things in a view of God. It's not just some foreign nation rolled up their tanks, invaded, and destroyed everything. Jeremiah here sees God in the hand of this. He sees God in the mix. The poet Jeremiah, he attributes the attack and the siege and the destruction ultimately to God. In every line of the first eight verses of this poem, Jeremiah points out God is the active one in this. God is the one who is bringing the siege, the destruction. Look with me here, just in verse 1 and 2, how the Lord in His anger, He has cast down from heaven. He has not remembered His footstool. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy. In His wrath, He has broken down. He has brought down. We can keep going. He has cut down in his fierce anger. He has withdrawn. He has burned like a flaming fire. He, God, has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand. He has killed all who were delightful in his eyes. He has poured out his fury like fire. 
You see, God is the one Jeremiah attributes the action to. He's saying God is the one who's in the midst of this. God is the one who's actively bringing judgment down on the people of Jerusalem. The Lord has done it. This description of God's action here is a description of judgment, or or Jeremiah's term here, God is cast down. Everything is going from the heights to the depths. From the high places, it's all reversed. So in verse 1, he speaks of casting down their glory. He casts down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. The footstool itself, at the end of verse 1 there, is reminiscent of the temple. He's destroyed it completely. He's torn it down. Or in verse 2, you see God speaking, uh, Jeremiah speaking of God as the one who has swallowed up without mercy. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds. No one is left untouched by God's actions. The habitations, the strongholds, the kingdom and its rulers all leveled to the ground and have been brought down. In verse 3, instead of God's mighty right hand being for Israel, his, his hand now is opposed to them. It's withdrawn from them. When the enemy came up, the scriptures would talk about God's hand protecting Israel. And now it's God has left, he's taken his hand away, and the enemies can just roll over Israel. He's withdrawing his protective hand. Or in verse 4, God becomes the hunter warrior. He has bent his bow like an enemy. He set like a foe. He's the one who's attributed the action to, to in all of this. He has poured out his fury like fire. What is with God in this, you might ask? These are are incredible words to describe God. And it it all shows the attribute of God's righteous anger, His wrath even. Each of these first four verses at the beginning identifies God's displeasure and His fury against His people. The Lord in His anger has done this. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy in His wrath. He has broken down the strongholds. He has cut down in his fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has poured out his fury like fire. Each of these verses displaying God's fury and his anger. And this this creates a bit of a problem for us as modern people today. What do we do with a God when we see Him acting in destruction and anger and fury and wrath? We, we, we oppose this almost. We, we say, this, this can't be true. Like, God is love. God is kind. God is gracious. But here we see a picture of God enraged and furious. He's casting down, swallowing up, cutting down, bending the bow, killing, pouring out His fury like fire. I mean, this is an event parallel to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we ask, is this right? Is God just acting like a short-tempered child who doesn't get his own way and throwing the temper tantrum of all time? Well, here's how we have to think biblically. We have to think theologically about God's character, particularly that God is holy and righteous We today, we want to elevate God's mercy and grace, but in doing that, we at times will expend and we will will disavow, we will diminish God's holiness and His righteousness. When we talk about God being holy and righteous, we are saying that God is uniquely separate. He's utter distinct. He's morally perfect in every way. God never acts immorally or sinfully. 
He never does what is wrong. The scriptures attest that everything God does is right and good. So where's, where's God's mercy and patience here? I mean, just God's angry. We get that from Lamentations 2. He's really mad. Fury like fire. Is God just flying off the handle in a fit of rage? Where's his mercy and his patience? Well, well let me listen, help you listen to what God himself said about who he was in, in Exodus chapter 34. As God described his nature and his character, he said that he is the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And we go, time out. That does not sound like Lamentations 2. But don't miss what God reveals about himself. God, the Lord, the Lord, is a God who will by no means, this is Exodus 34, 7, who will by no means clear the guilty. He's righteous and he's holy. Is God, we could ask, is God right for doing this and destroying the city of Jerusalem and acting in anger and wrath? We would have to say yes. God is exceedingly patient. God is full of mercy and grace. But his patience never undoes his justice. You see, this wasn't God's first warning to Israel. They had had generations of generations, even a thousand years of God saying to them, I love you, I've redeemed you, walk in my ways, and if you don't, this will happen. This will take place. He's given his people time and time and time again to listen to his warnings, to heed his commands. He sent the prophets to them. He sent the kings to them. He sent grace upon grace upon grace and patience all along the way. And what did Israel do? They refused every time. Every time God showed up with his grace and his mercy and his patience toward them, they rebelled. They walked away. They worshiped other gods. You see, the truth is that God's patience is long, but God would not be righteous and good if he just let evil go unchecked. If he just said, you know what, evil, we can just kind of brush it under the rug. I'll just close my eyes and, and act as if it never happened, and sin would go unpunished. God would not be just. He would not be good if sinners got to do whatever they wanted. And so God told Israel, if you won't follow my commands... You will experience this judgment. This should come as no surprise to them. God is doing exactly what he said he would do if they persisted in their rebellion against him. Look with me at verse 17 of chapter 2 here. The Lord has done what he purposed. He carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. What Jeremiah is saying there is he's saying God has kept his word. A thousand years earlier when Moses stood before the people of Israel as they were ready to enter the promised land, Moses preached to them and he declared to them the ways of God. You can look at Deuteronomy 28, 47. There God said through Moses, I'm making a covenant with you. And if you don't keep that covenant, if you don't walk with me, There'll be, there'll be this destruction. 
Moses said, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. And the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you don't understand. And they shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. God's word has been fulfilled. He kept his promises. He did what he had purposed and carried out his word. So when we see this in Lamentations 2, when we see God's anger and fury, it's not as if God is is hot-headed, short-fused, and he's just flying off the handle. God is patient and loving and gracious, but he's holy and righteous and just and true to his word. I think about this way. If we, if we say and we tell our children, if you touch the hot stove, you'll burn yourself. It's, it's similar to what God is saying to Israel here. Israel, follow me. Walk in my ways. And if you don't, this will happen. God was warning them and spelling out the consequences of their sin. And this is the point for us. Asking, is God righteous? Is He, is he okay to do this kind of thing? Is He okay to, to pour out His anger and wrath? Is foolish. Of course he is. He's absolutely fundamentally holy and righteous and good in all things. The problem is we don't like it. It's because of our hard hearts and our sinful ways. When we read about God in this way, it it should shake us. It, It should trouble us because this is what we deserve. We don't like it because we know that God could be this way towards us. The fact is that we deserve nothing good from God, not one thing. The reality that you woke up this morning and you have breath in your lungs and, and a roof over your head and, and maybe a breakfast to eat is nothing but the mercy of God. God is righteous and He would be righteous to pour out His anger fully and completely now on all humanity because of our rebellion and sin. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is, they suppress the glory of God. And the wrath of God is being revealed now in the depravity and the downward spiral of human corruption. But His wrath is also being stored up for the last day. Friends, we have to come to grips with the fact that God is not unrighteous to send one person to hell. That God is not unrighteous to to open up the gates of calamity against us. That God is not unrighteous to deal with us in anger and fury and wrath. The scripture says that God opposes the proud. The more we lift up our head against him, The more that we walk in our own way and refuse Him, the more that we trample on His commandments and His ways, the more wrath that we are storing up for ourselves. And so the call is to see God in His righteousness and to wake up from your arrogant and wicked hearts because God's day of justice is coming. God is the righteous, holy judge. You may say it feels like God's the enemy against us, and when we persist in our sin, when we're calloused against His ways, when we're opposed to Him, He's righteous, He's holy, He's justified in pouring out His anger. 
so glad I could preach this sermon today, right? It's heavy. But it's the truth that's in the Scriptures that we, we, we must not diminish. It's there for us to wake up and see our God is righteous and pouring out His anger. But it takes us to a second truth of God that we must see. And that is that God is exhaustive in dealing with our sin. Here's where the poet leans into God's opposition to them. Here's where Jeremiah speaks just more directly about their sin. Verse 5, the Lord has become like an enemy. There it is. The God that they had loved, the God who had given them grace, who had walked with them and rescued them, now they're looking at him and they're saying he's become like an enemy. He swallowed up Israel. He swallowed up all its palaces. He's laid in ruins its stronghold. He has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. God opposes Israel now. He stands against them. And the truth is that God opposes the proud, even us, and our arrogance and our hard-heartedness today. What we see in verses 5 through 8 here is that nothing is untouched by God's just anger and punishment Israel in this description here in verses 5 through 8 is utterly laid waste. Nothing stands. You see in verse 5, all the palaces are laid in ruin. The the beautiful palaces that Solomon had built and the kings had lived in, the homesteads, all of it leveled. Verse 6, the temple is destroyed. He has laid waste his booth, his temple, his tabernacle, like a garden just being tilled over. The meeting place, ruins. The Lord has made Zion forget the festival. The parties are gone. The rest is gone. He is spurned. He has turned away king and priest. All the leaders gone. Verse 7, the altar, the sanctuary, the walls, the city itself. The Lord has scorned it. He's disowned it. He's given it to the hand of the enemies. The walls, they're, they're destroyed. Again, everything brought down. In verse 8, the Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. Jerusalem had this mind and this pride of their city. The city sat on a, on a higher rise. You had to go up to the city itself. So it felt impregnable. It felt like nobody could take the city of Jerusalem. And the walls of the city of Jerusalem were, were steadfast. They were strong. And so there was just this confidence within the people who lived in Jerusalem at that time that nothing could take us down. And yet God here levels the walls. He stretched out the measuring line, he says in verse 8. It's like God got the, the tape measure out, and he, and he looked at every square inch of that city, and it was destroyed. Total destruction. Everything laid waste. You could go to verse 22 at the end of this chapter, and there... Jeremiah describes it this way. He says, You summoned as if to a festival my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. And those who I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. Everything wiped out. I point this out here to let you see that God isn't going to let sin slide. God in His holiness and in His righteousness doesn't let just, just sin go unchecked. Jeremiah laments because everything had been destroyed, everything ruined God by God. God was total in His work to deal with them. 
because their sin was total rebellion. God is exhaustive in dealing with our sin, and he, he has to be. And this is a truth. I want you to see this is a truth of grace for us. You see, we have this idea that, that sin, our pride, our rebellion, it's just a little mark or a blemish. You, you can just get the eraser out and just kind of scrub it off, and, and nobody will have to know. Nobody will have to deal with it. The truth of the matter, though, isn't that just sin is some sort of mark or blemish. Sin is a radical, aggressive corruption within us. It is taking us over. You don't go to the doctor and, and hear a doctor, and you don't say to the doctor when the doctor dis- discovers and, and tells you you have cancer, you don't say, well, just take out the big stuff, but don't worry if there's a few cells left over or, or little things going on in there. It has to be radically removed, totally removed. You have to be radical and aggressive with the corruption of our heart to deal with it. And so when God deals with sin, He's not just going to let some of it go. Just, just leave a little corruption around. It won't matter. He's not going to let some sin persist. God is infinite. And our sin is an infinite offense against Him. And therefore, it must be exhaustively dealt with. Well, here's a question. How does God exhaustively deal with our sin? There's really two ways that he exhaustively deals with our sin, two ways that God goes to work against our sin. First of all, and there are really two different people, if you will say. First of all, God deals exhaustively with the sins of those who do not humble themselves in repentance by eternally judging them in death and hell. Let me say that again. God deals exhaustively with the sin of those who do not humble themselves in repentance by eternally judging them with death and hell. This is, this is aimed at those who are non-Christians who do not believe the gospel of Jesus today. You say, hell? <laughs> like, that's a fancy made-up place, right? I want you to hear what, what the Scriptures say about hell. Jesus described hell as a place of eternal, conscious torment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Jesus said more about hell than, he, than any other person in the Bible. Paul says that those who do not, the Apostle Paul says that those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. 2 Thessalonians 1. The writer of Hebrews warns us that those who go on sinning deliberately, even after receiving the knowledge of the truth, only have a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. It's Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. Make no mistake, if you are outside of Christ, if you've not repented and placed your faith in Christ, God will exhaustively deal with your sin. He will judge you and your wickedness against Him eternally in hell forever. I know that's not popular. That's what the Scripture says. And we have to consider that. If you have not trusted in Christ, if you have not repented with your sin, of your sin, God is right and holy and just to condemn you and to send you to hell forever. It's not a made-up place. But there's another road. There's another way that God deals exhaustively with sin. And secondly, it's this, 
God dealt in the past exhaustively with the sin of all who will humble themselves in repentance and trust Jesus alone. You see, the cross is the place of God's exhaustive work against our sin. On the cross, Jesus became the object of God's righteous fury and wrath. There on the cross, Jesus stood in our place and and took our sin and paid for it by His death. On the cross, Jesus atoned for the rebellion of all who would humble themselves and repent and trust Him. He atoned for our rebellion and suffered and died in our place. All our sin was the price paid for by His sacrifice for us. So that the Scriptures can be true when they say, when Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The exhaustive wrath of God has been satisfied on the cross. And so let me say to those of you this morning, if you have not humbled yourself before God and repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus and His work on the cross and the resurrection, you will experience the fury and exhaustive wrath of God in the future. But this is a message of grace for us. If you have humbled yourself before God in sincere repentance and faith, trusting Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as your only hope, then God's wrath is not aimed at you any longer. His wrath has been poured out on His Son. You have been reconciled to Him. And what you see here in Lamentations 2, God's fury and His anger and His wrath, it's not headed your way. It's good news. But I know as a Christian might say, as, as we would wrestle with this, we would say, well, why do bad things still happen to us? Why, why do we still taste affliction? Why are there hard days? Why does calamity come down on us? Well, we must again see that this isn't the punitive, eternal wrath of God against us, but these things might be His fatherly, loving discipline for us. Again, the writer of Hebrews says, as you, uh, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as, as sons and daughters? The Scripture says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the ones He loves, and He chastises every son whom He receives. There may be discipline of God to correct us, to shape us, to, to, to bring us back into walking rightly with Him but it isn't His full and furious wrath. He's poured out His wrath on His Son on the cross. And so this leads us to a third truth. We've seen that God is righteous in dealing with our sin. He's righteous in His anger, and God is exhaustive to pour out and to deal with our sin. And so it leads us to a third truth about what we should do when God feels like the enemy. And that is that God is working to bring us to repentance. For the unbeliever and the believer alike, the the calamity that we feel, the heavy hand of God that we may feel on us is is moving us in one direction, and that is humble repentance. If we see that God is righteous in pouring out His wrath, and He's exhaustive in dealing with our sin, for all of us it should bring us, when we feel these calamities and these hardships, we should feel a need to come to Him again. The poet of Lamentations expresses this reality when God feels like the enemy in verse 19. There he, there he calls out and he, and he invites us to pray as well. And he, and he says, Arise, 
Cry out in the night, at the beginning of the night watches, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him. There are four verbs indicate the action for us of repentance. First of all, arise. It's the idea of get up. I love this because repentance starts with us not being slothful or lazy or complacent or just saying, I'll deal with this tomorrow, I'll repent tomorrow. But repentance calls us to get up now, to see the seriousness of our sin, to see the holiness of God, and to say, now today is God's day of grace and mercy. So it's to rise up. Friends, when you feel the sense of God's wrath against you, when you feel his fatherly discipline, be active in running to him. Get up, arise. Secondly, cry out. Repentance is a, is a crying out to God in, in sorrow. It's to lament our sin. It's to see our brokenness and to say, God, I have spurned your ways. I have offended you. So I cry out and I plead for your mercy. Cry out in the night, as the poet says. And the darkest moment is a moment you can cry out to God and plead for his mercy Furthermore, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Repentance is being open and honest with Him. It's, it's not saying, well, I, I just flipped it a little bit. It was just a little mistake. It's like, God, this was offensive to you. My sin is against you. I've hated you. God, it, it's not what I want to be. It's not who I be, want to be. And so pour out your heart to Him. Here's the good news. You stand in the presence of God when you pour out your heart to him. He can take it. He can take the sorrow of your heart. Repentance is getting up, crying out, pouring out your heart before the Lord, and lastly, lifting your hand to him. The idea of lifting your hand is the biblical posture of asking for help. It's the physical posture of raising your hand to heaven and saying, God, help me, heal me, save me. It's how we should pray, to lift our hands to him and say, God, we're too weak in and of ourselves to make this right. So God, would you take my hand and would you, would you pull me out of this pit? You see, God brings affliction and calamity and pain into our lives, and he does so to bring us to repentance, to bring us to him. When we feel that God is the enemy against us, it may be that we have not believed and trusted Christ. We haven't humbled ourselves. And, and so we may feel the fury of his anger and wrath, and, and that day is being stored up for us. And so today is a day for you to rise and to wake up and to cry out and to pour out your heart before God. We may feel calamity as God against us and, and see that that is his discipline. We are in Christ. We have believed and trusted him. And, and yet, we need our Heavenly Father through His Spirit to, to tell us, walk in line with me. If there is persistent, rebellious sin in our hearts, the corruption in our lives that we just refuse to come to terms with, God's heavy hand may be upon us. You may look at your life and go, why are things so bad right now? Why do I just never feel close to God? Could it be that you're just willfully rejecting His ways? That you're, you're ignoring, like, God, this isn't right. I mean, you just, you just sense, even as you think about the Ten Commandments, that you are walking in persistent sin. And that discipline is there. God's calling you to himself to repent and to come back to him. In any way, God is moving us to be humble before him. These afflictions and judgments are here to soften us, to humble us, 
so that we will approach His throne of grace and mercy. You see, when God becomes the enemy, we must cry out to Him. That's what Lamentations 2 does. It says, God, you have to heal us. The pain we feel is a means for us to go to God and to cry out to Him for the sake of our souls. So today, while you have breath in your lungs right now, humble yourself before the Lord. Cry out for His grace. Christ came as the sacrifice for you to redeem you from being God's enemy and to bring you into His family, to call you and to make you His son or His daughter. I love what Paul says in Romans 5 and 8. God shows His love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Christ died to save us from the wrath of God. Christ died to reconcile us to God while we were His enemies. Because when it seems that God is the enemy, it's a time for you and I to run right to Him in repentance and faith, seeking His mercy, crying out and pleading the blood of Christ on your behalf. Today is the day of salvation, friends. Today is the day for you to see how short the time is and to repent. Don't posture and lift your heart up in pride and refuse the Word of God, but humble yourself before Him. I want to invite us now to just take some time, take a moment or two as we are in this series on lament, to cry out to Him. I want to give you space to lament and to cry out to God in repentance and silence before Him in this moment. And then I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer. Let's pray and go before God in our lament this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a righteous judge, that you define goodness and fairness in your universe, and we can trust you far more than we can even trust our own sense of justice. We also thank you for your patience with us, which staggers our imaginations. Lord, we speak hard words against you in our hearts every day. If we examined every thought that flows through our minds, we would discover countless grumblings and accusations against you. We often serve you for many selfish reasons, and we think that you owe us what we want in exchange. We know this by the way that our hearts flare when we don't get what we want, and even worse, by our bitterness when others whom we think less deserving get exactly what we want. Oh God, have mercy on us and forgive us. If you were to give us what we truly deserve, we couldn't endure it for a moment. So we thank you for Jesus. You poured out on him the anger that we deserve, and he did endure it. He lived the perfect life which earned your pleasure, and he paid the awful debt of all of our sin. Our holy judge was judged in our place, and now we stand in his goodness with all the righteousness we need. 
Thank you for looking on his life and death and for pardoning us. Holy Spirit, we are weak and forgetful. Our minds are full of many things, and the drift of our thoughts is always away from you. We need your help in order to think clearly about Christ and to remember him. We need you to melt our hard hearts with gratitude, for we cannot do that for ourselves. Spirit, we need you to bring us to repentance time and time again when our souls rise up to grumble and accuse you of injustice. Humble us with the remembrance of Christ's unbelievable love and patience with us and fill us with the desire to worship and adore him. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.